We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. Yusei, we are recording this episode on Wednesday, July 21st. We are officially a week away from the start of training camp here for the Chicago Bears. Uh, it's really getting some excitement going right now, I think, for you know Bears fans, but NFL fans in general with football just officially coming back here really soon. We're already starting to see the, the start of training camps for some other teams across the NFL how are we doing today, man? I'm doing well. I know there were about three or four teams. I think the Bills and Ravens were amongst those whose rookies reported to training camp on Monday or Tuesday, July 20th. So definitely an exciting time. I mean, the football season's here. It's going to be nice to kind of take the last week or so, of week, week and a half of July, all the way till next June, pretty much, and then just be covering the NFL. And then not too far off also is the start of college season because I know the SEC is having – Media days this week, we're expected to be back at pretty much 100% capacity. So it's pretty much from here on out football season. And I think it's going to be another fun year doing this. It's going to be fun to be on this podcast throughout the fall, but I'm excited, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been talking about this ad nauseum, I feel like, but just this entire June, July section of the season, it's really tough to get through from a coverage standpoint just because there's not a ton going on. You get a couple uh, snippets here and there uh, from different NFL teams across the league, but really nothing consistent in terms of actual newsworthy things to talk about. And uh, now that we get training camp started, we're going to actually get, you know, hopefully fans back into these training camps as well, which is pretty cool compared to last year. We didn't have any of that going on. Um, you know, hopefully that can generate some more buzz as we get into the season here. And I'm really excited to see, uh, what happens at this training camp. I'm not sure if I'll be able to make it to a training camp uh, this year, but, um, you know, hopefully that's in the cards at some point. But um, if not, I mean, I'm really excited to see, you know, what other fans are saying, what uh, the beat reporters are there. I mean, Zach's going to be there 
I'm sure for a few of the practices here and there as well. Um, and just really exciting stuff. But this brings us into like the main preview for today's episode. Um, you know, for the offensive side of the ball here, uh, you know, what are some of the things that you're looking for in regards to training camp here on the offensive side of the ball? And what are the main storylines you think are going to be, you know, worthy to discuss here as we get into this next week or so? Well, number one, everyone's going to be focusing on the quarterbacks, and that's warranted because I've said this multiple times that just anytime you do have a rookie quarterback like Chicago currently has, what you're going to be seeing is there's going to be a lot of excitement that is generated because people are projecting what can the quarterback do at the college level versus what he'll eventually be able to do in the NFL. And so that's the biggest thing you look at Matt Nagy's plan for whatever quarterback is that is going to be something that will be very intriguing to continue monitoring as well, because ultimately Matt Nagy's talked about the Kansas city plan, talked about Patrick Mahomes, talked about how Alex Smith is essentially Andy Dalton. So how are the bears going to be splitting first team or reps here between the quarterback as well as reps that are just going to be going around because you look at the bears. I mean, they could have a number of different offensive line combinations. And then you look at the wide receiver room. Hey, in the slot, is Anthony Miller going to be the guy that's getting the primary reps or is it going to be someone like a Marquise Goodwin or a Demir bird? That's going to be getting a number of reps as well. Like, so the bears going into training camp, they have a lot of questions, but there's also a lot of intrigue. And I think that when we talk about the bears from a local perspective, compare them to the national media. It's very clear the national media is significantly lower on the Bears compared to what a lot of the local beat writers are saying. And if you don't believe me, I mean, I've talked to local reporters that cover the team, like Caitlin Sharkey, even our own guy, Zach. And one of the things that we can all agree on is Pace and Nagy are here to stay for at least two more seasons, whereas the national media and ESPN rank Ryan Pace as a bottom five general manager in the league. ESPN pretty much is just under the assumption that it's going to be Pace's final season in Chicago. So really next Tuesday, I think is going to be when the bears do officially report, it's going to be the start of a turning point. Yeah. Not only was Ryan Pace ranked as the worst or as a bottom five general manager, he was ranked as the worst general manager by that uh, poll you were talking about there. Number 32 overall, which I found really interesting, which I, I can't agree with that was, you know, going on a tangent here. Uh, there's no way you can say Ryan Pace is the worst GM in football. I mean, he's made a ton of mistakes in the past. I think there's a lot to be critical of him and the job he's done here in Chicago. Obviously, he's getting a new start here, technically, I think, with the drafting of Justin Fields. Uh, but if you don't have Las Vegas with the Raiders and how they've been running their organization over there over the past few years and the Texans and the mess it is over there in Houston as your two worst front offices by far, like, it's not even close. Like, those are the two worst front offices in the NFL, and there really shouldn't be an argument you can make uh, to not make that the case. Because, I mean, both of those organizations are just run – the way they are run is, is just a train wreck over there. So, tangent aside there, but getting back to the Bears, I find it – I do find it interesting because I agree, you kind of mentioned it, that, you know, the national perspective of the Bears uh, seems to be a lot – well, like, significantly lower. I think there was that one poll um, where they were ranked as having, like – I think in that same ESPN poll, I think it was, they were like 27th in like future um, outlook for the franchise. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, like you said, the front office and the way that was viewed, the coaching staff and how is that viewed. 
And you're right. I mean, there's no way that Ryan Pace and, and Matt Nagy here are not going to get multiple years here to kind of prove that they have what it takes. I mean, Matt Nagy still has another year left on his contract after the season. We don't know what Ryan Pace's situation is, but I would assume that he is tied to Matt Nagy um, contract-wise and where, you know, they're going to be going to the same year um, together, basically, um, contract-wise. So I, I can't imagine that's not the case. So, you know, when you make that aggressive move to get up and get your quarterback, you know, it, it would be unwise for you as an ownership of your of the football team there to basically say, well, you know, you went up and invested all this future into getting a quarterback and to develop him. And you say that you had this plan. Well, now you have to, you know, win now essentially. And if you're not, if you're not hitting a certain, you know, win point here, uh, you're gone basically. I don't see that's that being the case. Obviously, I think they have to be competitive this year in order for that. Um, for them to get another year here in Chicago. But unless we get into disaster, I've been saying this all offseason, unless we get a disaster uh, this year in 2021, there's no way that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy aren't back here in 2022. And, you know, that all starts with the quarterback position. And you mentioned it. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how they divvy up the reps here in training camp because Matt Nagy and his coaching staff and Ryan Pace, they've all said that this isn't a quarterback competition for that starting job. That's Andy Dalton's starting job. Um, and you know, I, I just, I, I'm really interested to see what they do here with that starting job, with that quarterback position, because, you know, is it more of a 50, 50 split? Is it more of any Derek Dalton's getting, you know, 75% of the reps with the starting team or is Justin Fields getting some reps there? You know, how are they going to divvy that up? And, you know, they keep on saying they have this plan for Justin Fields and how they're going to develop it, but we really haven't seen exactly what that plan is or what that entails. So, I'm curious to see, we're going to get a better look at that here in training camp and what they decide to do uh, in terms of the reps they're running, in terms of the concepts that they're running here and, you know, what they're kind of working out with fields. We're going to see all that here in training camp coming up, I hope soon. And, you know, that's going to be really where a lot of the intrigue is going to be for me as we get into this next week. Well, and that's the thing. If you're Bears ownership, Two things here. If you're Bears ownership, number one, you have to keep in mind is that if you wanted to hit the re, if you're going to fire Pace and Nagy anyway, then you might as well have done it in the 2021 offseason rather than waiting a year because now you have a GM and a head coach that have picked a quarterback and they've tied themselves to a quarterback and basically said, hey, we're going to hit the reset button on the entire organization pretty much by drafting Justin Fields. Because when you drafted Fields, you pretty much admitted that, yeah, Nick Bowles didn't work out and there's the same GM and ownership, the same GM head coach ownership group, a trio that traded for Nick Foles that didn't work out that the GM and the ownership kind of signed off on pretty much drafting Trubisky because the McCaskies seem to have given Ryan Pace control over all football operations that didn't work out. And so now you look at this and say, okay, well, you've had one winning season in six years. You're going into year seven with Matt Nagy. You know what? Eight and eight, you've gone eight and eight the last two seasons. It's not good enough to necessarily you're not a winning team but you're not a losing team by any standards either you're basically as middle of the pack as it gets and so from an ownership standpoint you have to understand that you're better off taking a back seat here and saying okay let's see what Justin Fields can do for the next two to three years I would argue and then you go ahead and decide to hit the reset button maybe you hit it after 2023 or 2024 even depending on how Justin Fields pans out. Now, if Fields pans out and is as good as advertised, then guess what? Pace and Aggie are going to be here for a very long time. You could argue that they could end up being one of the longest tenured GM and head coach 
combinations in Bears history. Because if you look at the Bears, I mean, it's a team that, and this is irrespective of Lovey Smith. Because if you take Lovey Smith was here from 03 to 2012, and so he was here nine seasons. Okay, Lovey had a long run, but when you look at the Bears, they've traditionally been a franchise that just established a reputation where every four to five years they just continuously hit the reset button. And the reason they hit the reset button is because ownership continuously makes the same mistakes over and over and over again because you're hoping that a new brass can come in and fix something that the previous regime just failed to do. Now, you contrast that to a team like Green Bay, for example. Whereas Green Bay, yeah, they've had their hirings and firings. They've had some front office shakeups here and there because guys do leave for other positions just throughout the league. But what tends to happen is they remain relatively constant. And why do these guys remain relatively constant? The teams remain relatively constant, stable because they are able to hit on that quarterback. And so what I said earlier that the Bears are at a turning point, right, with Justin Fields, I think that next Tuesday, like I said a couple minutes ago, it's going to be the starting of that turning point. Yeah, these next couple of years are – you can't emphasize it enough. These are incredibly important years, I think, not only for the Bears and what, what their current state is in the mean term, uh, but going into the future, what is this franchise going to look like in the years and decades to come? A lot of that hinges on Justin Fields and his development – over the next couple of years and how he looks here, especially you know, going to training camp this year, you know, whether he plays in the regular season this season or not, you know, that, that's going to really determine, I think, the future of this franchise going forward. But you mentioned the Packers there, and we've had a lot of news going on in the sports cycle here up in Wisconsin. I mean, for those who've been following the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks, they just won the championship last night. So really good to see Giannis get his first championship there. Uh, you know, a quick tidbit there, but you, know, you mentioned Green Bay and, and the stability there. I'm not sure that's something that's going to be uh, there for quite a while here. You're looking at the situation there up there in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and how that's kind of panned out for them over this entire offseason. And we got a little bit more of uh, some new nuggets here from uh, Adam Schefter here on the Aaron Rodgers situation. And, you know, this is something that was kind of alluded to in the past, how the Green Bay Packers, you know, they've been trying to get contract extensions done. But Adam Schefter is a little bit more specific in terms of tweeting this out uh, the other day. He tweeted out that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, the Green Bay Packers, they offered Aaron Rodgers a two-year extension, which would essentially tie him into Green Bay for the next five years, including this season. And those two years would have made him the highest paid quarterback in all of football. And Aaron Rodgers just flat out denied it and said, no, I'm not accepting an extension. So we don't know the exact details of the deal. You know, they could have been, it could have been a situation to where, you know, they weren't giving any, you know, money up front. Um, in terms of signing bonus, which would have made him even tougher for the Packers to trade or cut Aaron Rodgers going into the future, which could be something that Aaron Rodgers was looking for and the Packers weren't giving. You know, it could have been a situation to where you know Aaron Rodgers maybe wanted a little bit more money. But Am Schefter seems to allude to the fact that you know this isn't a situation to where it is about money here with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers front office, and you know that makes it. You know, we kind of knew known that to be the case. I think all offseason that. You know, the issues run deeper than just an extension. The issues run deeper than just the fact that the Packers trade up for Jordan Love. There seems to be something off here between Aaron Rodgers and the organization itself. And, you know, it's really tough to kind of figure out what that is. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he's a different person altogether. But uh, what do you think this kind of alludes to here with the Aaron Rodgers situation? And, um, you know, the fact that it really isn't just about the money or a contract situation here. 
we know players in the NFL want to get paid and Aaron Rodgers has gotten paid a lot, but we also know players in the NFL want to win. And when you look at Aaron Rodgers, you understand he's getting up there in age. He's in those mid to late thirties and contrast him to a Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Now, Tom, we know what he's done and there's, he's obviously had a phenomenal career. Now, Aaron Rodgers had a phenomenal career too, but what really pisses Aaron Rodgers off and the reason he's as mad as he is is because the Packers they have a top quarterback they have a guy that's guaranteed a spot in Canton but they have not run the organization as well as some of these other top quarterbacks or these are organizations that have top quarterbacks have run the show because look at Tom Brady we know what he did in New England we know what he did his first year in Tampa Bay now Tampa Bay is kind of an exception because they had a pretty solid roster they just could never hit on the right quarterback until Tom Brady arrived to kind of maximize all that talent. But I think if you want to talk about a well-run organization, and this is why Aaron Rodgers is so mad, look at the Kansas City Chiefs. What did they do? So they build the roster up. They go from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. Obviously having the best quarterback in this generation is really going to help you a lot. But the Chiefs pretty much, they saw Patrick Mahomes get slaughtered in the Super Bowl because the offensive line was a makeshift offensive line. What do they do this offseason? Well, they make the offensive line a point of emphasis. They go out, they draft Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey, and then they trade for Orlando Brown Jr. They bring in Kyle Long. They move on from, I believe it was Eric Fisher as well as Mitchell Schwartz. They pretty much remade that entire front five. And so for Aaron Rodgers, you're looking at this and you're saying, hey, the Chiefs have been to the Super Bowl two straight seasons. Now they've been in the AFC conference game three out of the last three years. Now, then you look at Green Bay and Green Bay's been in the NFC championship game the last two seasons. Granted, Aaron has a major part to play in that, but the problem comes in where Aaron doesn't see the Packers making any significant moves to get Green Bay over the hump. You look at that offense, it's pretty much Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Jones, and then Aaron Jones, the running back. You look at the Packers offseason, they lost Corey Lindsley. The biggest move that they made was signing Aaron Jones, a running back, to I think it was a four- or five-year extension to keep that core in place because the running back is such an integral part of head coach Matt LaFleur's offense. But really, Aaron's looking at this, comparing it to other top quarterbacks and realizing, look, at this point in this career, at this point in my career for me at this stage, it's not even about the money or the contract. It's just more so I want to win. And I don't blame him because look at Russell Wilson. Now, Russell Wilson's got one ring as well. Russell Wilson, yeah, he tried to force his way out of Seattle this offseason. There were some reports that said otherwise. Russ was kind of double-sided on that too. But Russ also went to a couple Super Bowls early in his career. That was a major difference. Whereas Aaron's been to one, and even that at this point was a decade ago. So you look at a player who's just, it. this is a classic case where an employee is simply discontent with the state of the organization and how his bosses are running things. That's all there is to it. Now, looking forward, I mean, I think the Packers are just going to have to hold on to him and hope that he shows up and kind of budges. I don't think he's going to budge. I think they're going to realize sooner rather than later we need to trade Aaron Rodgers. And one last point here, when you look at the major superstars that have been traded over the last couple of years, DeAndre Hopkins, Khalil Mack, Jalen Ramsey, there's two things. Number one, they get traded because they're discontent with the organization. But also number two, what tends to happen is they get traded from the NFC or the AFC to the opposite conference. Now, in Aaron's case, it's interesting because if he were to get traded to the AFC, there's only one team I could see that making a serious trade for him, which would be the Denver Broncos. Another team in the NFC could be a team like the Saints, for example, or the Washington football team. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, in terms of the trade conversation there, I think Denver is certainly a team that's the most employed. They're the team that's, I think, should be the most desperate in making a trade for Aaron Rodgers because, I mean, look at that team. They are literally a quarterback away from being a contender in the AFC there, even with a loaded division with the Chiefs and the Chargers with Justin Herbert and the Raiders being a pretty solid team as well, even though there are weaknesses across the board, their defense and whatnot. But uh, the Raiders, I, I also think the Raiders could be in play as well. It's been rumored that, you know, the Raiders would be interested in the Aaron Rodgers trade. I think John Gruden has been, always been a huge fan of Aaron Rodgers' game, uh, going back to Gruden's time as, you know, broadcaster with ESPN on Monday Night Football. Um, and, you know, that could be a situation to where if, you know, the Packers feel like they need to give Jordan Love another year to develop, you know, the Raiders could send over Derek Carr. He's got, I think, another year or two left on his contract, but there's no guaranteed left on that deal. And it would make sense for both, both teams, I guess, even though the Packers would be giving up quite a bit there, or the Raiders would be giving up quite a bit there. Uh, to make that work. Um, but, you know, s- switching gears back to Aaron Rodgers here and why he could be discontent with the Packers situation, because you're right. Um, it, it really comes down to the way he thinks that the organization is being run here. I think some of that has to do with the investment on the offensive side of the ball. Now, uh, the Packers, they do have a good offensive core, but when you can stack it up to you know, what other great quarterbacks have, you know, Tom Brady, the Buccaneers have just invested a ton of resources into giving him as many weapons as possible and investing in that offensive line. The Packers have a good offensive line. They've invested in it. Um, that's not really the issue. We look at the wide receiver room for the Packers. I mean, obviously, Devontae Adams, he's one of the three or three or five best wide receivers in all football. In fact, he was the best wide receiver in football last season, arguably, with this type of season that he had. But how much of that is helped by the fact that he has a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, they have that connection together um, where it's, it's really like a synchronous relationship there between those two where they got they just know what what each other are thinking at all times and you know how much is that helped by uh, his relationship with Aaron Rodgers there with Devontae Adams I mean Devontae Adams is a great wide receiver but who do you have besides him Marcus Valdez Scantling who's hit or miss I mean he's got great deep speed but you know half the time he just drops the ball half the time so how can you rely on a guy who doesn't have the type of hands you need for that wide receiver position to be a consistent deep threat you then look at you know Robert Tanyan at tight end undrafted free agent guy, you know, is he a product of Aaron Rodgers in that system though, or is he, you know, an actual good weapon? I, I would lean more towards the former. He's more of a product of the environment rather than being an actual, you know, really good, really solid, great player for them at that tight end position. And wide receiver still, you know, Alan Lazard, another undrafted free agent that they're relying heavily on, or I think it was a day three pick, but um, basically they didn't invest a lot with Alan Lazard to be 
um, a huge part of their offense. I mean, it's not the same as the Buccaneers. You know, they're paying two of their wide receivers big money. They paid Antonio Brown to come in and be another addition to that wide receiver core. They drafted wide receivers in back-to-back years uh, to support Tom Brady in the passing game. You know, they have all these tight ends with Rob Gronkowski, O.J. Howard, and uh, Cameron Brait. Uh, not the same there. Even the Seahawks, they've invested quite a bit at the wide receiver position as well to help out Russell Wilson. And of course, we know that the Chiefs, they invested a ton in helping out Patrick Mahomes, uh, paying Tyreek Hill, paying Travis Kelsey, drafting Nicole Hardman, paying Sammy Watkins at free agency. And then this past offseason, when they saw the offensive line was kind of falling apart, they pretty much reinvested a ton of resources into fixing the entire offensive line there. So uh, Aaron Rodgers is probably seeing that and saying, you know, you're not giving me the same amount of help as these other guys. And it's kind of hurt us in the playoffs. We, see, we saw that in the last uh, championship game, the NFC championship game. The Packers did not have the weaponry to really spark a comeback there late in that game just because, you know, there were key drops down the stretch. Guys were separating down the stretch. It, it made it rough there for Aaron Rodgers. He kind of had to do everything for that offense to get them back into that game there. And that could be a source of some frustration for Aaron Rodgers you know, you look at where Aaron Rodgers was coming into the league as a starter with the Green Bay Packers. The Packers had maybe the most loaded wide receiver room in the NFL. You look at Greg Jennings, Donald Driver was still there, uh, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb. Like, it was a loaded wide receiver room. James Jones was another uh, part of that room. Um, not the same situation here with Green Bay nowadays. It's really Devontae Adams and a bunch of guys. You know, there's nothing really spectacular with that unit there. But I also think it's it comes down to a matter of respect as well that Aaron Rodgers is feeling. You know, Aaron Rodgers kind of mentioned this as well when he was uh, interviewed on ESPN by Kenny Main. Um, you know, I think a lot of that has to do that. He feels disrespected by the organization. You know, Aaron Rodgers, I think there's a part of him that feels like, you know, he's one of the five greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, and he should be treated like it, with the reference of a Tom Brady where, you know, he goes to an organization and the organization, you know, bends over backwards basically to give him as much as he needs to be successful. And, you know, you look at the Packers trading up for Jordan Love, even though they just paid Aaron Rodgers his big contract, um, not investing in that wide receiver position. And then basically it feels like they're trying to push Aaron Rodgers out um, on a timeline here. And they want to force the issue with Aaron Rodgers and, you know, not have Aaron Rodgers determine his time with the Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers feels like he has earned the benefit of the doubt with the organization to where he should be able to go out on his own terms. I don't think he's getting that here at the Packers. I feel like the Packers – they have a set timeline to where uh, they want this to go with Aaron Rodgers, or at least they did when they drafted Jordan Love. They obviously had, you know, an idea of how the future would work out with Aaron Rodgers here. And Aaron Rodgers saying, no, you're not going to force a timeline here. I'm going to force a timeline. I'm going to leave on my terms. And this is how I want to do things here. You know, if you're, if you're not going to give me everything I need to succeed here uh, to be to win a championship here, if you're not going to fully support me, be behind me, if you're going to try and force me off the younger quarterback, then that's fine. I'm going to go play somewhere else. And, let them determine the state of my career there. So I think that's really the biggest part of it is he feels like Packers, they're not giving him the full respect that he deserves at this point in his career and what he's done for the organization. And he just wants to go out on his own terms. I think that's a big part of this here. We'll see how that plays out in training camp, but anything you want to also want to add here, you say before we move on from uh, this subject. Well, I think if, if you're the Packers, you're realizing one thing right now. Maybe it's just best for us to trade Aaron Rodgers because we're going to get draft capital in return that for 2022 and 2023. And we could just use those pieces to build around Jordan Love for the next couple of years, foreseeably into the future. And regarding the Jordan Love pick, last thing that I'm going to add on here is this is Aaron's admitted himself. It's not even about the Jordan Love pick. And you add this dimension into it is this, is that 
it's not about the Jordan Love pick. It's just more so about realizing that they took a quarterback in the first round when a lot of people still thought and everyone kind of knew that Aaron Rodgers still has a lot of good football left in him. If they now had they taken a quarterback, whatever, in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, then you're like, okay, whatever. We wouldn't be having this conversation. But because it was a first round quarterback, that's what makes this situation so much worse than it pretty much already is. Is because anytime you draft a quarterback in the first round, you're basically saying, hey, we are looking for you to be the next guy. And effectively, when you draft that quarterback, there's a clock that starts ticking for a team to prove is this player really the player that we believe can be the face of the franchise? Yeah, absolutely. I think a clocking tick, you know, like uh, ticking ticking clock is a great way to uh, describe there with this situation here uh, with a first round quarterback. So I mean, we're saying it here with Justin Fields in Chicago, there's a ticking clock on Andy Dalton's career in Chicago. You know, you know, eventually that Justin Fields is going to see the field. And that's the same thing with the Green Bay Packers. Eventually, Jordan Love is going to have to see the field. Otherwise, that's a waste of investments and embarrassment for the organization, for the Packers, because you traded up to go get it. It wasn't a situation to where Jordan Love fell to you in the draft. You were aggressive. You pulled the trigger and you traded up to go get this guy. So at some point, he has to prove to you on the football field that, you know, he was worth that investment. And, you know, how's that mesh with Aaron Rodgers? Is seeing that the way that Aaron Rodgers is seeing that. I think Aaron Rodgers is seeing that and going, okay, you obviously want to move on from me at, at, at some point, you know, screw you is kind of what I think Aaron Rodgers is saying, um, you know, privately here to the Packers here. But, you know, we'll see what happens here. Only a week away until training camp. You know, this next couple of weeks is going to be very interesting in uh, Packerland here to see what happens with Aaron Rodgers in that situation. Because I, I think if Aaron Rodgers, if he shows up to training camp, you know, the first day or whatever, I think everything's going to smooth over. He's going to be there for this season in 2021. If he's not there, then things start to get really interesting. And we get to uh, really get to discussion of, you know, how long will this last in terms of a holdout here and, you know, whether Aaron Rodgers is playing for the Packers in 2021. All right. So we're going to move on to the main topic for today's podcast here. And that's our interview with Nick Kelly. Uh, so Nick Kelly, he's a writer for USA Today and Tuscaloosa News. We were able to connect with him and talk to him a little bit about the upcoming college football season in Alabama football and how the Alabama team shapes up for 2021. Coming off that national championship year, you know, a lot of turnover on that offense with Mac Jones, uh, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, all those guys leaving on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so we had a really fun conversation with Nick Kelly. So here's our interview with Nick Kelly. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Joining us now on the Picks for Pace podcast, we've got Nick Kelly in the house. He's actually an Alabama football reporter for Tuscaloosa News and USA Today. He's from Minnesota, so he knows what cold winters are like. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Nick Kelly. Nick, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for being on here. Not much. Just enjoying the fact that it is not it is not a cold winter right now. And even come winter, it will not be a cold winter down here in Alabama. So that part I'm looking forward to because I have... I have braved many cold winters and, and I, I wear it as a badge of courage or of honor, but I, uh, I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, the winters up here can be 
pretty brutal to say the least. Luckily, we're in uh, summer right now, which is pretty nice to kind of go through that. Although it's been kind of rainy, at least by me, you know, the last week or so. So that's kind of keep things uh, a little less eventful in terms of getting outside and things of that nature. Yeah, it's yeah. a good time of year. It legit feels like Illinois is turning into Florida because it's like sunny outside where I'm at right now. And then it rains like 30 minutes later for like two hours. So it's on and off, but let's get into the first question. I mean, Alabama had a record, I think six players taken in round one of the 2021 NFL draft. I mean, did you have, were you surprised at any of these picks and which of these guys are you most excited about? Well, I think that, I don't know if there's a huge surprise with any of them. Of course, it was interesting to see where Mac Jones would go because every year quarterbacks are always interesting to see who gets picked where. And of course, Trey Lance going to the Niners that was kind of the, some people saw it coming, some people didn't, some people were thinking that was going to be Mac Jones. But I think the whole time, Mac Jones to the Patriots, I think made sense to some folks. And so, so it'll be interesting to see how that's going to play out with him and Cam Newton there and, and see if Mac gets the job. It sounds like he has been very competitive in spring practices and just leading up to the, the summer. But again, we'll see what happens between him and Newton there. In terms of some of the best picks. I mean, the Steelers needed running back and Najee Harris. They, they badly needed someone like that who could, who could fill just a, a variety of roles and just some explosiveness on offense because anyone who watched that team down the stretch last year, they really, really lacked some stuff offensively down, down the stretch. So that should be a good fit. And I think those might be the top two. I'm trying to think. I mean, of course, the receivers, Devontae Smith and Philly is going to be fun to watch to see what, what Nick can do with them there and in the new era with the Eagles and and otherwise, yeah, it's just a good crop of talented guys up in that first round. Yeah, I'm excited to see how Jalen Waddle does reuniting with his former college quarterback and Tua Tagovailoa. I'm interested to see how, if you know, something of that nature kind of carries over to uh, the professional level. But uh, speaking of Tua, you know, a lot of, of Alabama's offense over the past couple of years have gone pro between 2019 and 2020. You know, who do you think is next in line? at quarterback, wide receiver, and offensive line, respectively. When you talk about guys such as Tua, Mac Jones, and then a wide receiver, especially Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, and the offensive line as well, Leatherwood, Wills, Dickerson, Brown, like all those guys. Like those are some big-time names right there on the offensive side of the ball. So how do you expect Alabama to kind of replace those players and kind of fill in for those guys that have been really highly, highly touted prospects uh, going into the draft and um, you know what are your expectations there that, that I think is the question among people around here and in college football is what are these replacements going to look like obviously they have talent they have some great recruiting classes that continue moving through this machine basically but but at some point I mean it's tough to replace six first round picks I mean that that is a a lot of talent to try to fill but they have talent to fill that so it just is a matter of how quickly that happens and if they can do it at a level that doesn't necessarily have to be as high as the Mac Jones did last year because they had some record setting years, but guys like Bryce Young, he's kind of the next expected quarterback to take over for this offense. He gets to work with new O coordinator, Bill O'Brien, who of course NFL folks know from his time with the Texans. And so we'll see what Bryce can do. He's, he's a sophomore, so he won't be in the draft at least this year, but he's a guy who was a five-star coming out of high school out of California, just an electric player, a lot of some people I talked to in California, just a Houdini like kind of guy who just can escape. He's he's mobile. He can throw off platform. He's just he's just a guy who is is really fun to watch and and really brings some energy to the field. So he'll be 
the quarterback, at least he's expected to be this year in his sophomore year. And then in terms of receiver, John Mechie the third is kind of expected to be the number one guy coming into this year. He played in relief basically to help fill that void with Jalen Waddle when Jalen Waddle got hurt last year. And Mechie caught six touchdowns alongside Devontae Smith in 2020. So, and now he will have the chance to basically be the number one guy. And whether that means he has a season like Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, I mean, we'll see. But he at least has that opportunity now. And he's expected to probably go high in the draft next year if he has the season many expect him to have. And then on the offensive line, Evan Neal is the guy to watch. He could be a top 10 pick. Of course, we've got a long ways to go before the draft, but he's got the potential. He, he played left guard as a freshman, and he's a right tackle last year, and he's now expected to move to left tackle in replacement of Alex Leatherwood. And so with him, he's huge and also a guy who is – Freakishly athletic. There's a video the other day of him doing a box jump where he, I can't even explain it, probably do it, it's proper do, where he, he jumped up like three levels of boxes and he, he did a split jump as he did it. And it just, for an offensive tackle who's, who's that big and that strong is so impressive. So he's a guy to, to keep an eye on in this college football season. So you kind of got into Bryce Young and Evan Neal. I mean, this, my next question is just this. I mean, what has what have the early impressions of the Bryce Young era been, knowing that the real evaluation period for him is going to take place once the season kicks off in a couple weeks here? Yeah, he's someone who he's seen spot duty last year, filling in with just basically when they were up on teams where he'd come in to replace Mac Jones and get some, get some snaps, but that's not really quite the situation he's going to find himself in this year. So we have yet to see how he does there, but in the spring game, this past, this past spring, he was the MVP. He had a, he had a solid performance. He wasn't perfect, but he was solid. And even you go back to high school in California, he was a guy who played for one of the top schools in the country in high school in modern day. And I think they only lost, three games his during his junior and senior year when he was the starter there. And so he's a guy who's used to winning. He's someone who, again, has just incredible talent, but it's a matter of, okay, can he, can he take that talent and use that effectively early on? And how long does it take him to adjust to playing against this level of competition? The expectations are high, whether he matches that early or it takes a while remains to be seen. Yeah, Young's development will certainly be something that's going to be on the radar of many scouts and evaluators in the, in the next upcoming season. But you kind of mentioned Evan Neal as well. I was kind of curious to get your take on how he has progressed over the years because you know, I'm a big fan of watching the guys in the trenches. And uh, I'm just kind of curious because, you know, Alabama's had some really good offensive tackles, whether you talk about Jedrick Wills or Alex Leather Leatherwood. Um, so what are your kind of your expectations for him in 2021? And how does he stack up next to those guys that were first round picks? Yeah, he's kind of expected to be the leader of this group. He's, he's one of the, just because they had guys leave and, and then Brown went to the Panthers as well. He's kind of expected to be the, the leader and really a top talent for an offense that lost a lot of talent. So he, he's someone who, even though he's not a skill position, he's probably going to be one of their most crucial players offensively, especially, and maybe for the whole team early on as they kind of get used to this new offense and a new group that they they have trying to gel together. And so he's someone who, A, should be on the left side, and, and B, it probably won't take him long to adjust to that because he was a left tackle in high school, and he played on the left side his freshman year. And so he's someone who should succeed and will likely – have a strong, strong year, just because again, he, he's, he's a guy who has all the physical tools that he needs. And, and he also seems to be a smart guy too. So he's just someone who is a prospect to watch. And if you're picking the top 10 next year, you're probably going to 
and need an offensive tackle, he's, there's a good chance he's your guy. Yeah, I'm going to be watching Neil throughout the entire season, but shifting away from just the offensive side of the ball here, let's just talk the team in general. I mean, Alabama's got a really intriguing schedule. Once again, they're probably going to finish amongst the top of the top or be the cream of the crop. But what do you think are the most notable games to watch? Because they are playing teams like Miami, Ole Miss, LSU, Auburn. And then just to follow up, what's the toughest game on the schedule and why? Good question. The Texas A&M game is, of course, one that's going to be fun to watch because Jimbo Fisher was quoted earlier in the offseason saying that he wanted to beat Nick Saban's butt. He used a different word uh, for butt, but he uh, basically kind of put it out there that Nick Saban responded, what, in golf kind of thing? And and so there, there's already some friendly rivalry between the two coaches who used to work together at one point. And so, But that game is going to be a tough one. Texas A&M's got a good squad, and it's going to be in College Station. And so you bet that that – that stadium will be rocking for, for that game. And so that'll be a tough game. I mean, the Florida game should be a challenge. They, I'm trying to think the, I mean, those would probably be up there for me in terms of toughest games for them this year. Miami game could be a sneaky, tough game at first. It's first game of the year. It's going to be in Atlanta and that Miami team has, has some talent there as well. So I'm keeping an eye on those games overall this year. And yeah, of course there's, <laughs> there's a good chance we might see a Alabama Georgia matchup in the ICC championship game. If both are able to, to rise through the season, but in Auburn too, it's going to be interesting to see how they are under Brian Harson in his first year. And that could be a challenging game or maybe, or maybe Auburn struggles under Brian Harson in his first year. So we'll see where Auburn is by the time the iron bowl comes around. Yeah. The iron bowl is always one of the funnest games to watch usually year after year, at least, one of the biggest games to watch year after year in college football. Um, I, I'm kind of curious. We kind of talked about the offense quite a bit in terms of the guys returning some of the returning starters from last year. Is there anyone on defense that kind of uh, you think is someone a name to look out for on the defense side of the ball in terms of some of that was started for them last year? I'll give you a name. He won't be a draft name because he was a freshman last year, but Will Anderson is just a freakish, just, unbelievable edge player as a freshman for him to come and do what he did. And he's someone who's going to probably just keep getting better from where he was. And he's someone who's explosive. He's got a quick first step and he's just, he's just relentless. He's just a guy who doesn't really give up. And when you're a pass rusher, he, he created a lot of havoc doing that and setting the edge. He reads and reacts well. And so he's a guy to keep an eye on maybe for the, the 2023 draft or the 2024 draft, but he's someone at least for this defense is going to be a crucial piece They've also got a guy in Christian Harris in the middle who's going to be starting for a third consecutive year. He's a junior, and, and he's a linebacker who could go early in the draft next year as well. And then you've got uh, Henry Toto. They brought in as a transfer from Tennessee. He's not for sure going to start. He's going to face some competition for the spot next to Christian Harris, but he's a guy who has two years of SEC experience and could likely join that linebacking core. And then the secondary, they also have Josh Job, who's a cornerback. who He, start, he started opposite of Patrick Sertan, last year and now has a chance that if he has a good year, he could also be a high round draft pick after Sertan went number nine of the Broncos. I'm trying to think on the defensive line, they have a few names that are returning like Federian Mathis is, is a guy who's coming back, but in terms of elite talent, it probably remains in their, in their linebacking core. Yeah, that linebacking core I think is going to be interesting because I was one of the people that was really surprised when Dylan Moses went, undrafted and I remember Dylan Moses I mean he was a player that a lot of people you know throughout the 2019 throughout the 2019 season throughout the 20 uh as well as the 2020 draft process a lot of people had him going 
within the first round, possibly being the top linebacker. Then all of a sudden he, he returns to school because of the knee injury. And then 2021, he goes um, undrafted, signs with Jacksonville. But what do you think is the best positional group on the roster and then the worst positional group? Yeah, I think I just thought, I mean, honestly, the linebacking core is probably the, the best positional group they have. They have some depth there too, even though they've, they've lost a few people to the transfer portal, but they still have elite talent as starters. And then the depth there is good as well with a few five stars, a few four stars. And so they, they're always retooling, they're always reloading. And then in terms of the worst position group, that's a, that's a good question. Receiver might be, and not because they lack talent, but I, I just, we don't know what to expect. They have a lot of uncertainty there because they've had such elite talent in the past few years with, with guys like Henry Ruggs and John Waddle, Devontae Smith. I mean, just Jerry Judy. And there's been so much just top level talent. I don't know if they'll have that this year, but they have guys who could be good. So it's just a matter of, I don't know that they're the worst. And it's, <laughs> of course, it's with a place like Alabama, uh, worst is a, is relative to other things, but, but in terms of the receiver core, there's probably the most question marks just because they're unproven largely. Yeah, it's gonna feel weird. We are not seeing a, a legitimate like cons like consensus first round pick um, in the receiving core that we absolutely know about going into the season. That's just it's a rare thing for Alabama the last couple of years. It's just it's ridiculous how loaded they've been um, at that wide receiver room. Um, but kind of switching over to the guys covering these wide receivers in the defensive back room. You know, Alabama's sneakily had a, a pipeline for defensive backs entering the NFL for. A very long time and Bears fans know about this really well with Eddie Jackson who's had a tremendous career with the Bears so far and you know his four or so seasons with the team so far um, but you know there's some been some others over the last couple of years look at Patrick's just hand last year on uh, this past draft Xavier McKinney was another big name that came out of the draft uh, Mickey Fitzpatrick a few years ago as well um, so when looking at this defensive back group I know you kind of talked about Job as a guy that could be a, another potential first round uh, talent at cornerback spot um, are there any other big names in that secondary that you think could be um, worth um, of high consideration in the NFL draft coming up either this year or maybe in a couple of years down the road? That's a good question. I mean, one name, not necessarily in the draft soon, but a freshman who's going to be interesting to watch is a guy named Kool-Aid McKinstry. He goes by Kool-Aid. It's, it's a great nickname. It's actually been changed to that on the Alabama football roster, but his name's actually Jaquincy. But uh, Kool-Aid is a guy who's a five-star and he's someone who really is, could contribute early on and we'll see how fast he becomes an elite talent or maybe he doesn't. I mean, we'll, we'll see on the line, but he, he's a guy, at least I'm keeping an eye on, not necessarily from a draft perspective right now, but he, he's a guy to watch. And then you have guys like Malachi Moore who plays their star position and they, I mean, they have, they have some, some guys who, who could go high in the draft. I mean, Jordan Battle's a guy to keep an eye on. DeMarco Hallams, the, uh, the free safety, he's another another guy to keep an eye on. But in terms of elite talent, I mean, Josh Joe is probably the guy I'm looking at immediately for draft purposes because the other thing is they don't necessarily know who their starting cornerback is going to be opposite of Joe because that spot is open for competition. So the secondary has more, more questions or, you know, I can't speak with as much certainty of, hey, this guy's probably going to be a first-round pick or a guy that you're seeing hear his name called early in the draft next next spring but they certainly have guys with potential and some talent there as well. I know. I'm, it's, it just sounds like the theme of Alabama kind of over the next month or so is just going to be competition because like we've established, I mean, a lot of guys have left 
a lot of new faces are now going to have to fill some big shoes. But let's switch over to the coaching staff here because Alabama this past year, I mean, they hired Bill O'Brien as well as Doug Marone. Now, what do you anticipate Bill O'Brien's role being besides just offensive coordinator? And then what is Doug Marone doing besides being the offensive line coach, considering both of these guys are former NFL head coaches? Yeah, isn't it wild that they, <laughs> they're bringing these two in to – like if you're a college recruit, why wouldn't you want to come to a place like in Alabama that you get to play for a long time, just, well, two guys who were head coaches, but then, you know, of course, when they were their bread and butter is, you know, Bill O'Brien was a coordinator and, and Doug Marone was no line coach. And so you've got two guys who, who have plenty of experience, quite the resumes and, and Bill O'Brien's a guy who's going to also be coaching quarterbacks. So he's working with Bryce Young and, and Doug Marone is, you know, he, he's the offensive line guy. So he's the one who's investing his time developing these guys, helping a guy like Evan Neal take that next step. So he's ready for the NFL, but also developing the guys around to make sure that they have a good offensive line for when it comes time to, to roll Bryce Young out. And so, yeah, I mean, Bill O'Brien's going to be, it'll be interesting to see how much of the stuff he tends to like sneaks up in the offense because the, the reality is with this Alabama team, it's just a machine that keeps rolling. I mean, the train keeps moving. It's not something where they have to reinvent the wheel or they have to do something totally different. And so a lot of ways, what has been said is that, Hey, when they bring these new coaches, because they've had turnover of coaches a lot of years, I mean, you can look back at I me, mean, Steve, Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, he went to Texas now and we got, you know, Brian Dabble and just, you could, the list goes on and on. But when they bring these new guys in, it's not a matter of, hey, we're going to revolutionize our offense. We're going to totally change things right now. It's a matter of, hey, here's what has worked for us. We want to take your fresh input, your new input, but we're not necessarily going to do a total 180 from what we've done in the past. I'm curious, kind of looking past Alabama here and what to expect from uh, this upcoming year, you know, which college team do you think is the biggest threat to Alabama right now? Because obviously they're going to be considered the top dog going into the year, but uh, do you think are some of the worthy challengers out there for them as we head into this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, I think you have the usual culprits, the the Clemsons, the the Notre Dames, the Georgia. I mean, just teams like that that are always up there, and and we're probably going to see that for a while just because the recruiting's there. But I think the question is maybe Georgia at some point can can Kirby Smart become the first assistant you know who is formerly under Nick Saban to be able to beat their former coach. And I mean, Georgia's recruited really well and which is a necessary element to win these big games because you've got to have the talent, but they still have not been able to top Alabama on in any of these national championships, big games, whatever. And so it's, it's one of those things where they could do it and it's bound to happen maybe at some point, but I don't know if that's this year, but that's a team to watch to see how Georgia does. Like I mentioned before, Texas A&M is another team to watch. And, and Florida, too, is another team that I'm keeping an eye on as well. But, yeah, I think it's just the usual culprits, the, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, the, the just Notre Dame, I mean, just the, the teams that are constantly in it every year. Honestly, if Notre Dame some way somehow knocks off Alabama, people here in Illinois are going to go crazy because we have a lot of Notre Dame fans. Knowing Notre Dame and South Bend is just like a two-and-a-half-hour drive. I mean, I was actually driving – there last week but last one for you here i know you're going to sec media days next week i think they're like july 19th to the 22nd but what are you looking most forward to at sec media day well it's it's a spectacle and i've actually never been before so this is my first because they didn't have it last year and 
and I've been to some other spots. And so I'm, I'm interested to see the spectacle that is just everyone converging and to see if any <laughs> interesting answers come up. It's not the most organic location to, you know, have a conversation because you've got all these media members and the person's on the stage kind of thing, but it's something where you can get some curveballs of questions. So I'm, I'm curious to see how some, how some of that is handled, but also this is the first time you're going to see some of the new fresh faces in the SEC. So the Brian Harsons, the Shane Beamers of South Carolina. So we'll get to see some of those new faces. And for the guys who took over jobs last year who did not get to go through this, like the Eli Drinkwitzes who went to Mizzou or coaches Mizzou and Sam Pittman in Arkansas, they didn't get to take part in this before. So it's, it's going to be a very, very fresh vibe because a lot of these people have not been here before. And so I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what, what uh, that's all about. Yeah, I honestly tune into anything and everything football. So I'm going to try and tune into SEC Media Day a lot. But this has been fun. Did you want to plug your Twitter handle? And where can people read your work and just find your stuff? Yeah, well, like you said, uh, I'm at underscore Nick Kelly on Twitter. And you can find myself on TuscaloosaNews.com as well as the work of my talented colleagues in, in, uh, across the USA Today network. Absolutely. So guys, go check Nick out. This has been fun. I know you said you love talking draft stuff. So when the season officially kicks off and we're in like January and February, we're definitely going to have you back on again to talk about the progression of a lot of these guys that are going to hopefully turn pro next year. But thanks so much for being on, man. If you ever need anything, let us know. We'd be happy to help in any way we can. Thanks a million for having me. It's been fun to join you guys. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, so that was our interview with Nick Kelly. A lot of interesting stuff here when talking about Alabama football. You said, what are some of your main takeaways from our conversation with Nick? Well, I think the biggest takeaway, and Nick really alluded to this with one of the first questions that we asked him, was that there's a lot of questions. That's my biggest takeaway. Because if you look at this Alabama offense over the last couple of years, they've had a lot of, I mean, they've had whatever. I think it's like a dozen players get picked in round one, including six in 2021. Now, all of a sudden, you're in a situation where, especially on the offensive side of the ball, all that speed, all that explosiveness, that dynamic playmaking ability that was there with guys like Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, as well as Tua Tagovailoa, that's all in the NFL now. And then there's not really a guy on the roster that was kind of just sitting back and, watching this thing from afar I mean yeah Bryce Young but Bryce really did, hasn't gotten any live reps yet so there are going to be a lot of questions that head coach Nick Saban and his staff are going to have to answer and then just looking at that Alabama coaching staff I mean they have a couple former NFL head coaches like Doug Marone and Bill O'Brien on the staff as well so how are those guys going to go ahead and really influence the season those were my two biggest takeaways yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what's in store for Alabama on the offensive side of the ball because that's been a constant for them over the past couple of years, just how loaded that receiver room's been. You know, you talk about Jerry Jewey, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Wild, Bonte Smith, all, you know, the list goes on and on with first-round wide receivers. And Nick kind of alludes to this, you know, we don't really don't know who the next guy is going to be to step up for that. And Bryce Young is going to be really interesting because, you know, Mac Jones obviously had that big year for Alabama last year. How does Bryce Young do filling in the shoes of that 
uh, where Mac Jones and the two tug of Iloa before him both had really outstanding college football careers at that quarterback spot. You know, what's in store for Bryce Young here? I found it interesting. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, the NCAA allowing for athletes to uh, make money off of their name, image, and likeness. Bryce Young, the report came out that, you know, he's almost making a million dollars, approaching a million dollars with endorsement deals um, just for his name, image, and likeness. Uh, this is what Nick Saban confirmed, um, at, at least uh, when he was talking to the media uh, the other day. And I found that, you know, already Bryce Young cashing in hasn't even played a down of football yet in actual uh, in an actual football game or any meaningful football uh, for Alabama as of yet. So that's really cool to see for him. I'm curious to see how he does on the NFL football field. You know, it's going to be different. You know, Alabama, uh, this offense is going to look quite a bit different, I think, from where they were uh, over the past couple of years. But that makes it exciting for college football. You know, the constant turnover keeps things interesting, I think, uh, year after year after year. And we know Alabama and their Nick Saban, you know, that coaching staff, they're going to have these guys ready to go. For, for the regular season when it comes up in just over a month here. So really interesting to see what happens there at Alabama in Tuscaloosa uh, for this upcoming year. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us here at Picks for Pace. Uh, it was a really great conversation with Nick Kelly and good to go over some of these stuff for training camp as well as we get into that in this final week here before training camp. I don't know about you, you say, but I am chomping at the bit to get to this next month or so of the football season. This is where things really start to kick off for us. Uh, in terms of where you can follow us on social media, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Uh, get some updates and all of our information there uh, for what we're doing here at the podcast. You say, where can uh, our listeners follow you on Twitter and find your work? So you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Kojil, just my first and last name. Go ahead and check out my work on the Bear Report. We're going to have a lot of really cool stuff going on. I know we're adding a couple new writers, so that's just going to be more really good content for you guys as we get into the season here. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work at the Bear Report. You can find my work also on the Bear Report YouTube channel where I have a couple of projects coming in the pipeline here as training camp approaches. Hopefully I have a video out for you guys. I follow my video work uh, before training camp starts, but you know we'll see what happens there. Uh, I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. Uh, you guys are awesome. You guys are the best. Keep up support. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, we're looking forward to this training camp period. It's going to be really exciting, Bears fans. Until that happens, uh, we're, we're looking forward to talking to you guys once again when training camp kicks off. Bear down, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.